We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm the president and founder of the California Rock Art Foundation. And what we do is we identify, evaluate, manage and conserve rock art both in Alta, California and in Baja, California. We conduct field trips, we have trainings, exercise, we do research, and in every way possible, we try to preserve, protect, and coordinate treasures of Alta and Baja California rock art, of which there are many and diverse. We also work closely with Native Americans and uh, partner with them to recognize and protect sacred sites. So for more info about the fabulous California Rock Art Foundation, you can go to carockart.org. Also, I'm, I'm open to give me a call, 805-312-2261. We would uh, welcome sponsorship or underwriting, uh, helping us to defray the costs of our podcasts, and also membership in California Rock Art Foundation. And of course, donations, since we are a 501c3 nonprofit scientific and educational corporation. God bless everyone out there in podcast land. You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. This is episode 55, and you're in for a tremendous treat when we interview our guest scholar, who is uh, the head of Saddling South. And we're going to talk about the largest prehistoric paintings in the world with Trudy Angel. And this will be a, a wonderful experience talking about the location and character and wonders of this great mural rock art. Don't miss this one. Welcome, everyone, to episode 55. This is your Rock Art Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel. And today, we are truly blessed and, this, and honored to have a, a wonderful guest scholar. This is Trudy Angel, who is the owner and developer of a specialized program, a business that's been traveling to the central part of Mexico, uh, Baja, California, and uh, allowing us, through co cooperative endeavors, to visit some of the largest prehistoric paintings in the world. It's called the Great Mural Rock Art in the Sierra de San Francisco. Trudy, are you with us? I am with you. And uh, it's great to be here, <laughs> Alan, and great to hear your voice. And can't wait to see to uh, have you come back and join us on a mule someday. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> It's a joke and it's a it's a wonder. I was blessed to be with Trudy uh, for at least two times that I'm aware of. We had some serious serious adventures. It was uh, one of the most uh, extraordinary experiences of my life, and I'm sure Trudy's going to have a a chance to talk about it. Let's just kick it off right now. How long have you been uh, doing these gigs out to the uh, what I call the affectionately the Grand Canyon of of Mexico there in the Sierra de San Francisco and leading trips, specialized uh, approved trips out to these 
adventurous places in uh, Baja, California. Well, I, I do have a long history of time spent all over the Baja California Peninsula, especially Baja California Sur, which is the southern end of the whole peninsula, which is made up of two states in Mexico. So just below San Diego and California, the peninsula stretches down 800 and some miles, physical miles. Beautiful mountain ranges in there. And as you well know now, the central part, kind of the heart of the Baja, whole Baja Peninsula, has the most incredible rock art in the world. World heritage recognized, of course. Since the 1990s, it was designated that. But I had the very good fortune to travel into that country with a pretty infamous or famous tour operator. His name was Tim Means from Baja Expeditions. So I used to call him the grandfather of adventure travel in Baja California Sur, Mexico. And so I was invited in around 1985, I think, or 80s, mm -hmm. yeah, around 85, I was invited to join Tim and his wife and his four-year-old son and his year-and-a-half-old daughter and a group of friends from the company of Baja Expeditions, which was based out of San Diego, but ran all the, all the tours in Baja, of course, whale-watching. And, and they were the first ones to start operating tours into those canyons before there were roads. Um, if you can imagine, Alan, we drove in to the small village of San Francisco de la Sierra <laughs> on a bad road. We drove, we drove in to get on a mule and to have the burrows <laughs> go there. Yeah. And, um, so that first year, I was taken down into that canyon in the month of November. I remember it well. It was cold. It was rainy. It was slippery. We went in from not the trail that you and I and, and Eve Ewing went in on uh, way back when, but we went down the other side of the canyon, which was really kind of the driveway for the small ranch at the bottom of the canyon, which was called Rancho Santa Teresa. So it's the head of Santa Teresa Canyon or San Pablo Canyon with all the, the major great mural art there. And we came down and back then, what I loved was mule riding and the culture. And I knew nothing about rock art at the time until we got in there and started scrambling around those rock faces, rock caves. And it was quite the experience to be in there before very many other groups ever traveled in there. I think Tim at the time was really the only one running tours. And they would have to go in for two to three weeks at a time to do these loop trips because there was no road access. So in 1984, 85, that's when the first rugged dirt road went up to that small village. So it was actually, quote, unquote, easier to access. <laughs> That's amazing. Just amazing. That looks like you've had, you, you were there at the very, very start at the initiation of when people were beginning to recognize the uh, world-class status and the remarkable expression of what has come to be known as the great mural rock art. How did that rock, rock art be, begin to be recognized? That, that as well as I guess is a is a whole other question, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, the first uh, publications, uh, the first time it was kind of brought to light was probably when uh, Earl Stanley Gardner went in with helicopters and then hired cowboys and went in on those trails. That's when still there was a large population of ranchers living through the canyon. There were two or three uh -huh. other ranches and people were really living truly roadless. So that's why he took helicopters in yeah. uh, to the upper upper part and hopped on a mule and rode down those uh, steep winding trails. So that was in the 60s, I believe. And then some articles were published and a few people visited. And um, I think Tim Means got a hold of the idea later on in the 70s and he started traveling around there. But then uh, it wasn't until, yeah, the 70s and 80s that the first, you had to be a pretty rugged and intrepid traveler, adventure traveler to uh, sign on for a trip. I think Nora, his wife, used to tell her guests that she was about to take into the canyon, if you feel like you can walk across a room full of ball bearings at night, then you'll be good for this trip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty rockery, uh, slippery rocks um, there. But over the years, they've, you know, the trails have been built. And the, when the Department of History and Anthropology, INA, uh, Instituto Nacional de Historia y Antropología, Antropología y Historia, um, decided to try to get it to have world heritage status, which it definitely obviously does um, deserve, then things started to change. And so more people actually have access, but it's still very well protected by the local people in the community. And that's the whole premise of World Heritage anyway. So we have these remarkable sites. They're protected by Ina and all the, uh, with someone who's certified and, and someone who also has a proper permit and is working with the uh, oversight agencies, can we actually access and experience these wondrous and treasured, exciting first-class adventures? What's it like to do that kind of thing over time? I know I've experienced it myself. I guess uh, on the whole, from all your experiences, what was it like to, I guess, first, you know, experience and, and see for the very first time some of these sites. And uh, what's the uh, reflection you have after conducting these kinds of tours and seeing how people respond to these kinds of adventures? I think it was a, a couple of years, a few years after I went into the canyon with Tim and Tim Means and his Baja Expeditions crew that I was able to go back and do a long loop trip like you and I did that goes both into Santa Teresa Canyon and around to San Gregorio. Uh, and I went in with a, a man who's a, been a friend for 40 some years in Baja and teaches at the university. He's, he's knowledgeable just about every aspect, archeology span and uh, anthropology and botany. He's kind of an all around Bit of a renaissance man. About Baja. And so, and his name is Fermin Regadas. He's a professor at the University of La Paz. And so he went in, we went in with a very small group 
and he was our interpreter, and we just had a wonderful time. And I think that's what really set the hook for me a little bit more with doing the trips into the canyon. And I must say, with the amazing paintings, the amazing places that you have to go to to get to see these, it just sparks your your imagination, your curiosity, your wonderment at how the caves were painted, and then following up with reading books like Harry Crosby's uh, Cave Paintings of Baja California, and looking at what you and Eve have brought down for me to read and, and follow up on papers by Ken Hedges, by all the great people who have had the ability to go into the canyon. Eleanor Moore, who spent many, many a, a year on her back in the caves doing the drawings. For me, it, I feel like I was able to observe an era of the discovery of these areas as they become more and more important to the, the, the rock art community. On the other hand, when I take groups in, which I've been doing for years now, it's often a wonderful thing to see how their tour and their curiosity and their and their knowledge blooms. It goes from wanting to go in and see the cave paintings, wanting to see the rock art, and then when they get in on a mule and get on those trails and learn who those people are in the communities and in the far-flung ranches where you have to pack a donkey to get out and go to the store. <laughs> you have to you have to load up and, and ride out for three or four hours just to go to the little grocery store up in the village. The amazing cultural aspect of those tours is one of the things that people come away with as much as a new understanding of this amazing world heritage area for for uh, pinturas rupestres, as they're called in Spanish. Given your intimate familiarity with both the, the culture, the contemporary culture there, and what that's like, could you uh, paint us a quick word picture of who lives there and where do they live and how do they live and what the country is like? Because I think to uh, really get a flavor for what is going on down there, I think um, our listenership needs to sort of get a uh, an understanding of the the challenging nature of this uh, environment. And that's, like I say, it's one of my favorite parts of going out into the back country. And you actually feel like you're in, at times, going back a hundred years to where some of the small ranches, and there are only a handful of ran roadless ranches left in the Sierra de San Francisco and other parts of remote mountain ranges of Baja California Sur. And so it's a, it's a special, unique experience to go and see how those people live, see how the children grow up like little goats running around the mountainsides. <laughs> and I highly recommend to people, speaking, uh, having brought up Harry Crosby, uh, an amazing uh, Baja California, lower California historian and and California historian from some of his writings. I highly recommend reading the book. If you can get a hold of it, his original publication called Last of the Californios by Harry W. Crosby. And if you can't get his old original book because it's out of print, 
you can get a newer version called California Portraits, again, by Harry W. Crosby. And if you read those stories, then you'll come away with a deep, deep sense of understanding how the three generations back lived in that beautiful mountain range and how they traveled with such ease through the countryside. The mules that they use for travel, the animals, the burros and the mules are really much better adapted, say, than horses to get out on those trails. I always say that mules are like four-wheel drive horses and it's necessary for a ranch to have that kind of interaction with their with their countryside the only way they could do it is to have mules and donkeys and be able to travel and pack their goods you go into those old remote ranches and you see refrigerators now you see solar paneled freezers in their kitchens or beautiful bedsteads, things that you wouldn't expect to see at a ranch. And it takes a minute to realize, you know what, that came in on the back of a burro, a back of a donkey. And so that's why the cultural interaction when we go out and onto those tours and visit places like Rancho San Gregorio are just such eye openers for the people who get out into the mountains with us. Absolutely. Well, I think we'll stop it right there because I think the next segue is going to be sort of talking about sort of the uh, contemporary people that live there and then how they almost mirror in some ways the uh, indigenous people in living on the land in such a harsh and somewhat intimidating landscape. See you in the flip-flop, gang. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on, and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30 percent off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code rockart looking to expand your knowledge of x-rays and imaging in the archaeology field then check out an introduction to paleo radiography a short online course offering professional training for archaeologists and affiliated disciplines created by archaeologist radiographer and lecturer james elliott the content of this course is based upon his research and teaching experience in higher education it is approved by the chartered institute for archaeologists as four hours of training that's in the uk for those of you that don't know so don't miss out on this exciting opportunity for professional and personal development for more information on pricing and course structure, visit paleoimaging.com. That's P-A-L-E-O imaging.com. And look for the link in the show notes to this episode. Welcome back out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel, your host with Trudy Angel, talking about the great mural rock art and the trips in, the amazing adventures to visit the uh, Pintores Repuestas, in the Sierra de San Francisco, on the peninsula of Baja, in the heartland for some of the largest prehistoric paintings in the world. So Trudy, mm -hmm. what's it like for the people that live there 
trying to eke out an existence in some of the uh, amazingly rough country with the unpredictable natural resources and very little in the way of, of uh, the ability to sort of economically sustain themselves. How, do, how does one live in Baja? How big are these pueblitos, these smaller towns? And um, how does one um, subsist with such an uh, unforgiving natural landscape in the deserts of Baja? Yeah. Um, surprisingly, the ranches, the original ranches from, say, three decades ago, they were just basically fading out when I started to travel into the mountains. There were more people living in the backcountry. You had neighbors that were closer. Uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier that, that currently there are only a handful of people who live in on roadless ranches now. Most places have had roads brought in either by the government or they'll build them by hand especially if they live up a canyon. And anywhere that there's water in any area of those rugged desert mountains, basically you're going to have an ability to run some ranch animals. So a lot of people in the backcountry do the type of ranching that involves goats and cattle. And the cattle can be up in the, up in the higher country on tops of the mesas. And as long as they have enough rain during a season – during summer rains come in harder and usually fill the arroyos with water so they have some some water in the back country and they can survive in that back country and then in the areas where there are more steady springs so that a ranch can stay in one place and build and uh, build their families around that then they do more goat ranching so you're going to see people in the back country working with cattle and with goats on those outback ranches. They make amazing goat cheese. For the cattle, it's mostly to sell for meat, either a dried salted meat, or they'll run them out to a roadhead where they'll load them into trucks. You're seeing some of the old Spanish-style settlement colonization families whose descendants are still living that lifestyle. And in places where there's a good, strong resource of water, like a spring, where they can fill a pila, a stone holding tank, then they can build up gardens. And actually, there are many gardens in the canyons in the backcountry where they've arranged it so hopefully the gardens don't wash away every year with the flash floods that can come through. But there are places where they've been able to plant citrus trees and have cash crops sometimes of, say, garlic or onions or or whatever. And you see that at Rancho San Gregorio especially because there's still several families living in that canyon. So there are elders and there are babies, and there are children in between. And like I mentioned a little bit ago, too, it's really fun to see how how the children grow up in that environment. And they just they kind of live in their own in their own environment. We had a group go in one time. The children are very polite. They come in, they they interact with the adults very well. They come into our camp. They greet everyone by going around shaking hands, maybe not so much right now, 
but they go and shake hands, introduce themselves. And I remember one couple in particular looking at those children and just being floored. And they looked to me and they said, Trudy, we can't believe these children. They are so comfortable in their space Mm -hmm. in the outdoors. And so that's the kind of people you're going to meet when you go back into the backcountry, people who have just lived so much in their environment. It's almost like seeing a little bit of the indigenous past in that area. Yeah, yeah, I, I got that same flavor. And of course, when we took the two trips together, we had the uh, Corazon Vaqueros, the Caballeros, who uh, accompanied us. And uh, they're rather impressive people. <laughs> To put it mildly, (laughs) don't you agree? They are impressive. And yeah, people who come off the trips, they they might go into the uh, right into a canyon on their first day being somewhat hesitant and and oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into? But they come out of the mountains four days later, eight days later, 12 days later, whatever, whatever length trip we're doing, and they'll just be totally amazed by the abilities of these vaqueros, the the ranchers, the people who are authorized guides by Ina to be able to take us into the, the outback regions and care for the rock art. And the, the guests on the trip just can't believe how stable the mules are. My anecdote that I, that I, that I always say to, to talk to them that I'll, I always say as a a bit of a joke and tongue in cheek was, uh, and given my, you know, poor Spanish, I asked them, you know, how did they, how did they like the trip? And to me, it's 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 fraught with challenge and and uh, you know, peligroso and cuidado and you know and just the the incredible nature of the terrain and being on the back of a mule in the burrows and the tiny little trails, and they said, oh. The trip is a lot of fun. We really enjoy it. <laughs> and, and I'll, yeah, we I'll, get I'll some never, pretty I'll rugged never, people. I'll never forget, never forget that as long as I live. The, the their pers- their perspective. They're having a blast. Yes, they are having a blast. They really enjoy their work. We have some pretty special nights. We've had some pretty special nights under the stars. If we get particular one, one or two particular cowboys out there, like Chema with his twelve-string uh, guitar, and we start singing around the campfire and dancing around the campfire, and you know, just telling stories and sharing. And one of the things that I started as a tradition on our tours in particular is to make sure that if we're around the campfire the first night, everybody's settling in. You don't know, you, you've gotten on your mules, you've you've had a formal handshake hello uh, with your cowboys up at the village as you're packing your gear, but it's all such new country and new sights and and new experiences for somebody who's never done a trip into the one of those canyons before with mules and cowboys that you're just kind of, your senses are overload. But you get down around the campfire that night, what we try to do is introduce both the the guests and the local people and have them tell a little bit about their own lives and how they live in the backcountry. And that kind of the, is a good icebreaker night, just to learn who you're traveling with. Because uh, when you're first getting on the mules and, and getting packed up 
up on the top in the mesa by the village small little village of about, I don't know, 150 people maybe, spread out over a few households. There's a little school up in the village. And then you drop into the canyons, down the trail, on your mules with your donkeys jingle jangling their bells in front of you down the mountain. And a few cowboys working the donkeys and a few cowboys with the guests. And you feel like you're well taken care of because the guides know that in order to keep everyone safe, they need to be checking cinches if there's somebody along to translate, which one one of our liaison guides from Saddling South would do is translate, make sure everybody's okay, and even try to get them to sing on the trail a little bit. But yeah, they're so responsible, and your animals are very responsive and and stable. I always tell people I'm much better on my mule's four feet than on my two, than on my two feet. But a lot of people do like to hike as well. So maybe they'll hike in and out or share a mule. So that's kind of some of the, the management of logistics of getting groups down into that area so that you can get out and explore the backcountry and, and those beautiful rock art sites. Now, those canyons go uh, rather deep. They're deeply dissected. And I guess we're going down hundreds, if not thousands of feet into the canyon as we drop down and get back up again and go there. And it is um, heavily dissected. It is amazingly floristically covered with vegetation, which is amazing for a desert. And as well, it's beautiful, absolutely extraordinarily beautiful, but it is rugged country that is in essence lava and volcanically built. So it is it is a rough and tumble world that we're entering in. I guess the um, the rock shelters themselves, where the paintings are, are often up near the rim rocks. Are they not? Yes, they're they're on what what's called the ancones. So they're up above where the arroyo waters, as they run high, might um, might wash them out. So you don't see any of the rock art in in these locations right close down to an arroyo or a canyon bottom. You do have to scramble up some trails to get up to the areas. So Cueva Pintada, Cueva de las Flechas, you do have to take a scramble. But uh, the cowboys are always there. One of their jobs is to grab a hold of somebody who's a little unstable on their feet, grab them. We've had people with a, a couple cowboys, one on each elbow, hefting somebody up a little, a little rock ledge so you can get up to where the trail continues on. Some of the trails are pretty well maintained. And then when you get into the World Heritage Rock Art sites, which are in the Santa Teresa or San Pablo Canyon, then that's when you get onto these wooden walkways. And I'm sure Ryan, if you look at some of Ryan Gerstner's photography and his uh, this month, the short video clips that are posted now on the craft site, then you'll be able to see how, how there it's, it's well protected. They get crews in there every year, the Department of History and Anthropology, to fix up or paint or... Uh, redo some of the boards or things like that, and and they've well designed. They've designed them really well, so that you can step back on a little bit of a platform where before you might have stepped right off to a pretty uh, scary precip- uh, precipice right at the <laughs> edge of the the rock, and and you look down 150 feet down to the bottom of the canyon. 
but now you definitely have walkways with signage, a bit of signage explaining. And it's really amazing, Ellen, how many people go into the canyons and you can do this. You can set up a trip on your own. You don't particularly need a guide company to go with you, especially if you have some some Spanish ability. Uh, there's a, a little office in the town of San Ignacio, which you have to sign in at in order mm-hmm. to, to go into these canyons. And you have to sign in with the Department of History and Anthropology. And they will issue you a guide. So they have there's a particular guide role that happens within the guiding community. And if you can imagine, not everybody can do the work that, say, Chema does or, you know, all of the wonderful guides that we've had on our tours. You actually, you get designated somebody who comes up off the guide role, but I'd say almost every one of them is they are just superb and aware and attentive and take care of you. And so it's it, it really kind of makes it easy if you have some Spanish. And in fact, on my website, saddlingsouth.com, you can access some information about how to do a DIY, a do-it-yourself trip into the rock art areas because the most of the tour companies that take people in will do full package kinds of tours, even including yeah. the transportation from San Ignacio up to the village about an hour and a half away by car, two hours away uh, to the jumping off point. And so you can do it yourself and people do it all the time in very small groups for two or three days at a time. Or you can take a longer tour with Kuyima, which is one of the companies out of San Ignacio, who takes people into the mountains or ourselves or sign up when you really want to have a deeper understanding of what the rock art is, then signing up for that for a craft trip is is really cool because there are people who have a lot of knowledge about rock art from all over the world to do comparisons and speak to the the technology of the day that allowed the the rock arts to be there. So when we're uh, there with the Corazon Vaqueros, the Caballeros, and we go to visit one of these remarkable rock art sites, what are we going to see? And what's, what, what is there to um, catch our attention? So we have to uh, somehow hike up the side of a hillside. I believe it, these are rock shelters that are embedded in this uh, volcanic breccia, and it's a rather variegated sort of, you know, undulating canvas, and we have a polychrome painting. How many feet above the surface of the ground is these, uh, are these paintings? I believe they're sometimes rather high uh, above, the, above the floor of the rock shelters, aren't they? They are. And there are some wonderful places where they're 30 or 40 feet above the ground. Wow. And so you can imagine how the indigenous people who painted those needed to acquire and build scaffolding or however they went about to. There are different theories about that, of course, but scaffolding is one imagining how they would attain those heights. Yeah, it was amazing. So you're standing there and you're looking up at these figures painted on the walls 
that are human figures and animal figures and such an amazing feeling of motion, especially for animals, some of the pronghorn and the bighorn sheep and that that are moving along coyotes. There's a great little coyote panel in the rock art area called Boca de San Julio that's just down one of one of the farthest of the rock art sites that we go to visit in the Canyon Santa Teresa and the regular route that we do down there. It's and amazing. Sa- it re- yeah, really, in San Julio. It really is amazing. Yeah, do you remember that that little yes, line of coyotes running yeah, along yeah. the base of that? And that's one yeah. of the easier rock art sites to access yeah. as you hike down to it. The the, mo- the motion and the vitality and the beauty of the panels and the extraordinary nature of the place and its environment is is overwhelming. I, I j- that's really the best way. Let's take a break and then we'll continue to jump in on the uh, third and final segment. See you in the flip-flop, gang. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Welcome back to the Rock Art Podcast episode 55, talking about the great mural rock art with Trudy Ankel, And we're talking about the nature of the unbelievable imagery and country that is in the Sierra de San Francisco in the Baja Peninsula. I have to, I've been on pins and needles the whole time and I have to do a few things before we uh, continue. And that is when you're on the trail and uh, riding the mules and having the burros follow you. There's one ongoing uh, call that I learned in my uh, two or three trips down there when you go, Mula! Ah! Ah! (laughs) 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 And that is the one thing I've taken back from my trips. That's the the thing that I think will uh, stay with me for the rest of my life. If you want the mule to uh, continue and move and not stop, you have to Provide it with a bit of unction, don't you? A little bit of savoir faire. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, that was great. That was Go perfect ahead, Spanish on your part. <laughs> that was um, that, that that was a that was a perfect rendition of hearing a cowboy go mula mula. Huh, huh. <laughs> but, I think you should just sign on to be a vaquero in Baja California. I, I am just a, a vaquero a pequeño, pequeñito, definitely. The little tiny cowboy in me wants to, uh, of course, experience this uh, unbelievable adventure. And uh, it certainly is, uh, as I, I always say, from those that are my age, I'm 69 years young, and they remember how the Disneyland had these e-ticket adventures, the uh, only the best rides. Well, this one is certainly a e-ticket ride with a lot of extras thrown in. Nothing compares to it in, in my lifetime of experience. But going on this uh, trip into the uh, Sierra de San Francisco and seeing the uh, largest, some of the largest prehistoric paintings in the world in an area that is very, very rugged 
doesn't have roads. So we go in the back of mules and then we pack in with our bottos and we see these most, some of the most spectacular world-class rock art and uh, visit these places that are perfectly preserved and, and beautifully adorned. And we get to visit them up close and personal. You know, what's wrong with that picture? <laughs> yeah, very, very much up close and personal. And so a little yes. imagery as we as we wind up a, a paved road, just a, a small two lane paved road through this rocky country from the bottom of the desert, the flatlands, the area around San Ignacio Lagoon and the flat agricultural areas in the central part of the Baja Peninsula. And you wind up into the mountains and we end up at a small village called, at about three 3,500 feet called San Francisco de la Sierra. The last seven kilometers of that road is bumpy and rugged and rough. They haven't paved it yet. And so it's a good lead in to the fact that you're going to get out into rougher country. But as you're traveling through that country, the, the, the visuals, the scenery is so spectacular with the mountaintops and this, um, rugged, dry, rough desert, rocky desert, like you said, but there's beautiful plant life in the area as well. So you drive up and you go into the cereo trees and that there's a region, the whole region of the upper part of the the mountain range right there at of San Francisco has cereo trees up at the higher elevations. And there you don't find them anywhere else Really, they're endemic to Baja, to that part of Baja California Peninsula and a little farther north. And we're coming into the, the southern edge of that. So you get to see this amazing countryside with beautiful plant life that you can't see anywhere else. And then you meet these amazing people who have lived in this rough backcountry all their lives. And they it's normal for them. Uh, this is their driveway. This is the driveway to their home. And what they do for a living is help tourists get out into the backcountry to see rock art. So they're very friendly, very helpful. We load up onto the animals, get our gear packed onto the donkeys. The vaqueros do that, not us. Um, we get you loaded onto a mule with a saddle or if you get your hiking sticks and come along, we start out by going along pretty easy. This is going into Santa Teresa Canyon, where you start out on an easy 45-minute or half-hour rocky trail, but it's pretty flat. Then you get to the edge of the canyon, and you <laughs> drop down these. <laughs> I've had people cry there. Ellen, I don't think you cried. I didn't cry. I just closed my eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I told. Close your eyes. Close your and eyes. And, and hang trust on for your dear mule's life. Trust feet. your mule. yeah. mula. Yeah. Mula, uh -huh. mula es mi amigo. <laughs> <laughs> and and the then mula, I've had people mula, come mula, out four days later sign, ready to sign up for the next trip. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, and, yeah. The, the mule knows the, the, the road. The, the mule doesn't have any problem with, with these uh, trails. They're, they're fine by, by them. And, and the, the mule uh, gets us where we, where we need to go. So we, yeah. so, we get to the, so we finally get to these remarkable paintings with the vaqueros in tow. What do we see? Or, or, or more to the point, the vaqueros towing us up those, yeah, towing up us those trails. Up, dragging us up the trails. What do we see there? And why is this so captivating? Why do, we, why do people get, get hooked 
on looking at great mural rock art and trying to deconstruct or define what these images are all about. I guess, first of all, they're enormous. They're these are enormous, enormous images, correct? Yes. And when you get out to visit, especially La Pintada, which is the longest, it's maybe a couple of hundred yards long. And there's a platform that you can walk along and you can spend as much time as you want, pretty much within the confines of light and the visual. You want to try to catch the the rock, some of the uh, walls at a certain time of day. So sometimes we can even plan our our hikes up to the uh, from camp up to the particular rock art site in order to catch it at a certain light. So you get the most beautiful and the most vivid and visuals on that on that rock art. And there are all kinds of theories and papers that have been written on different sites, of course, that have been theoretically put in different places at certain times of the year uh, for certain light to be shining on it. So there's there's all of that to, to consider. And that's what I love about, we bring along some of the papers that have been written on by people on, on those aspects of how to look at rock art. But they're just so incredible to see these huge human figures, these these beautiful animal figures that are running across the walls just above Santa Teresa Ranch at the head of the canyon there. You can hike uh, about a 45-minute hike up to a site that is a World Heritage Protected Area, but it doesn't have the walkways and the signage. It's more of a natural experience. And that's an amazing site where you have a bighorn sheep a pronghorn, I believe, and a deer running up a crack, following one another. And across the canyon, there's, on the other side of the canyon, there's a site that has what seemed to be a female shaman on the wall. And then farther down the canyon is is La Pintada, the big, huge, long 200-yard long cave. And a very different cave sites have different senses about them, different feelings about them. And so we've been talking mostly about the Sierra San Francisco and the the most visited area called the uh, Santa Teresa Canyon. But yeah. the trip that we're planning to do from March 4th to 11th, this next March in 2022, is to go into an area where Besides six uh, rock possible rock art sites to visit, we also camp near a, a ranch, and where where there are families living, everyone from people in their seventies and eighties down to a few babies that are that are in the area and young young children. So there's different areas that you can ride to throughout the Sierra San Francisco that will give you a whole total different kind of a feeling. Uh, in the area of San Gregorio, they don't have, they, they call it designated, Ina designates it as a level three, which means that they need to send a custodian with us. And it's not like our vaquero guides will not take care of the area. It's just a particular 
way that they have set up their visitation process and their permitting process. If you go into an area that has signage and has places where people can only stay on the wooden walkways, that's called level two. But if you go into San Gregorio, you you go into an area called level three. And we also take in a custodian as well, just an additional person to uh, make sure that the rock art stays well protected. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great system, actually, that Ina has set up. And uh, a woman, Lucero Gutierrez, who's been working for decades, uh, she was the one who first designed the whole plan for the area according to the World Heritage Regulations and, and, and concepts, and working with the community of ranchers to help them get organized in a way of having a guide role. And just the, the way that Ina has protected the area and set it up, it actually works very, very well. And, and the, um, of course, the, the Mexican oversight agencies, you know, view this as incredible treasures of ancestry and, and uh, they're just uh, remarkable for their quality, for their preservation, for their beauty, and for the aesthetics of being there. What I know when staying in, in, in just one of, the, one of the cuevas, one of the caves, I didn't know what to look at. Do I look out of the cave into the beautiful canyon <laughs> and all the gorgeous <laughs> flora and, and uh, geological treasures? Or do I turn around and look at all the paintings that are in the cave that are behind me, you know, calling my attention? And yeah. uh, you're deluged, you're overwhelmed by, by beauty and drama at any way you look. And it's a... Uh, it's just an amazing experience. Amazing experience. Yeah, what we haven't mentioned at this point is how what the countryside looks like so much. So I mentioned beautiful cereal trees up in the higher country as you drop down into those canyons. You're really traveling through cactus country. You are and it and mesquites, mesquite trees. You're camping under a mesquite tree, maybe down in the canyon. Beautiful areas. Uh, at that upper campsite in Santa Teresa Canyon. It's really one of the most beautiful places of the world. It's just so gorgeous when the sun comes up in the morning and the and the cliffs that are towering above you uh, light up. And and then down canyon, you're you're watching the palms flow down the canyon the way that the that the riverbed twists and turns down down canyon and you're traveling up above the height of the palms so you're looking down on on top of a sea of palm trees washingtonian palms or uh, palma sanisa which are the palms that grow in that area mostly and and it's just so gorgeous and then when we camp we camp right there in the back country there's one there's one site up by the Santa Teresa Ranch that actually has a little bit of amenities like a baño and a little place where you could take a shower if you weren't afraid of the cold water. But then when you get out and camp in some of the more remote places down canyon, you're just really out there in nature. You're hearing the little salta paredes, the the canyon wrens that are singing and flitting around the the, the sides of the canyon. And it's just gorgeous country to lead you into this 
amazing sense of how the indigenous people must have lived. And uh, there are some great little books that have been written on some of the plants and, and indigenous culture of the area, but not really very much is known about who painted those caves. So you do get this, this sense of what the natural world is all about. You've uh, taken it a step further, haven't you? And you're the uh, developer of a film, correct? Yeah, a couple of films. I've heard you say a couple of times now that are, are Corazon Vaqueros. And there, there's a wonderful film that we worked on. I was just, I called myself the chief um, cook and bottle washer on that trip. But luckily, Gary McClintock, a, a well-known uh, saddle maker from the area of San Diego in the mountains, uh, Descanso, He's mm-hmm. passed away now a number of years ago, but we had the such good fortune to travel with Gary McClintock, Eve Ewing, and Gary's son, Cody McClintock, to film an amazing piece of work of art of an hour-long documentary about how people the, on those roadless ranches live and survive and what they do in their country to to work with cattle and to work with animals and goats. And I just spoke with Cody McClintock. He's trying to get a new version of Corazon Vaquero set up as a bilingual version, but it's oh, wow. in English and it has some English subtitles whenever Spanish is spoken. Mm-hmm. Definitely another piece of material well worth watching before anyone might sign up on a trip to go into those canyons. Corazon Vaquero uh, by Gary. And you finished up one of your own own films, didn't you? Yeah, that led into, so working with Gary and Cody on Corazon Vaquero, they had asked me, we went into the Sierra San Francisco and filmed how people live in the backcountry there. And then Gary and Cody, a few years, and Eve Ewing and I traveled out to another friend's ranch uh, his name is Dario Iguera. So he he knew how to make the old saddles, the old traditional uh, Baja California type of saddles, a vaquera saddle, they're called. And he is just an amazing, though he never went to school, he is a teacher at heart. And he has become the focus of another film that has been in the making now for almost five years. Wow. So I was at Dario's ranch about five years ago in January 2017 when he said, Trudy, I want to make a film. Uh, or he said, I'd like to do a trip like my grandfather used to do before there were roads on this peninsula. And I want to, to take a pack train of burros loaded up with traditional goods and ride from the little village of Komondu, just kind of up west of Loreto. Uh-huh. And I want to take these goods down to La Paz on El Camino Real, the old uh-huh. mission trails, right, right, like my grandfather used to do and the old packers used to do. And he looked at me and he said, and I want it on film. Do you think I can do it? <laughs> and I said, you know what, Dario? Yeah, that sounds really cool. I'm in. I'll help you. And boy, oh boy, I opened my mouth, and here we are five years later 
And the film is finished. It was finished four years after the spark of interest kind of got us going. Uh-huh. And now it's going through its festival run, and it's called La Requa. And La Requa, R-E-C-U-A, uh, La Requa, Fantastic. Uh, refers to the pack trains. That's the Spanish word for a pack train or a caravan of animals Wonderful. in particular. Well, we're, that's about all the time we have today. What's the uh, takeaway, Trudy? The one, uh, I guess, uh, reflection that people need to know about this uh, wonderful adventure and journey that uh, they can take if they choose to, uh, you know, test the waters and uh, accommodate a journey into in time. Yeah. Alan, I'll, I'll have to mention... Just in the last couple of days, there has been a a flood of of interest on the craft trip that's happening in March, March 4 to 11. So we've filled that. But I've spoken with Christine Grimaldi and with Ryan Gerstner. We all powwowed a little bit and decided to add another trip. So after we go into the March 4 to 11 trip that goes into San Gregorio and into the area that is a level three, We'll be setting up another trip that's going to dip down into Santa Teresa Canyon. So if you've had any kinds of imagery about uh, making it down into that canyon or can imagine yourself riding a mule or you can hike, (laughs) 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 then you're on. You can sign up for the next craft trip from March 12th to 19th. We're doing a little back to back because it's so popular. Well, the, the only way to, to put some closure on this, this, this is vaya con Dios. <laughs> Go with God. Vaya and con Dios. Sí. Yes, Hope. yes. The, even this hour together brings back so much remarkable memories. Hey, gang, don't miss uh, an, an opportunity to take a deep dive into the mysteries of the great mural rock art. See you on the flip-flop. Thanks. Bye. Adios, amigos. Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster, Rachel Roden, Laura Johnson, Max Lander, and... This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.